Happy Wednesday morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. Uh, I'm riding solo on the mic today because, uh, well, the coronavirus has taken over the world and Frank's actually having to put together packs. So uh, I've got two guys on today that I've been really looking forward to chatting with, uh, and that is Land Tawny and Ryan Bussey. Land Ryan, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I know you guys are probably sticking your neck out a little bit, so it, it is very much appreciated. Uh, Aaron, thanks for the opportunity, man. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. Nope, no problem. So we talked a little bit before uh, we got this kicked off. I just want to make sure these guys weren't caught off guard by any of the questions that we had and some of the different views. They answered some questions for me. I'm going to kind of make a quick statement. The BHA is a very hot topic. I had a guy on talk about nonprofits, which turned into um, kind of a shit show a little bit. And it we never mentioned any organizations when we talked about that, but BHA definitely got brought up several times, which made me study more in the last five or six days than I probably did in my entire high school career on like truth, lies, what's going on, who you guys are affiliated with, who you're not funding, what your guys' main goal is. Um, and then obviously now that you're on here, I'm getting it, you know, straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So, you know, initially, I guess. Some of the the questions that I have are from initial like some of the back the backlash you guys get are like Colorado. One of the original founders of the BHA had issues with he, he was not into spring bear hunting, bear baiting. That kind of gets transferred through time, right? Like you guys get lumped in with that guy, whether you want to or not which would make you guys look more or less possibly anti-predator hunting. Um, you guys seem to focus on, you know, y- your shtick, your deal is public land. And so some of the backlash you guys get are, are from things like that. So David Peterson was his name, and he is an, an amazing writer. I will say that, that he's very talented. But he was one of the original founders or members, but he's no longer with you guys. Is that correct? That is correct. And he was like one of the founders of like the Colorado chapter as well. Right, right. And so I know you guys get a bit of a black eye from that, whether whether you want want to or not. But what exactly is your guys' stance as far as just predator management, predator hunting, wolves coming into Colorado? I know that's a big question, but do you guys participate in predator hunting? Do you guys go bear hunting? Like what are the views of the BHA as well as you guys personal and answer as you see feel comfortable with and see fit? Yeah, I, I can, guess I can go ahead, Ryan. Well, yeah, so... BHA, Aaron, um, it encompasses an awful lot of people, and we have we have an awful lot of passionate uh, predator hunters, bear hunters, and I'm sure we have people who don't hunt predators or bears, but we don't, you know, we're a pro-hunting, pro-access, pro-public lands, pro-public wildlife organization. We don't laser focus. I mean, are we the predator hunting organization? No, but we're not the bird hunting organization. We're not the elk hunting organization. Um, we have a broader view than that. Um, and we certainly, the way the land can probably enumerate this a bit better than me, but the way that we view all hunting is that it is that it should be managed in the same way. In other words, through the North American model of wildlife uh, management. So predator hunting is certainly a part of that. Um, and we're in no way anti any sort of, you know, legal, well-managed hunting at all. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess Aaron, I'd Aaron, I, I mean, I think the North American model is just absolutely important, you know, in the scientific management of species. And so when you look at 
you know, I think, you know, we talked earlier about this kind of the um, ban up in British Columbia for grizzly bear hunting. You know, our chapter up in British Columbia, you know, wrote a letter and, and with disappointment and asking the, you know, the provincial government not to do that. Um, now, was that something that we spent a ton of time on? No, but that's where they came out. Um, when we look at, you know, stuff that's happened in Colorado, I would say that, you know, we were against the kind of the bobcat hunting ban, which again, another predator, which doesn't get as much uh, ink, I would say, as the wolves. Uh, with the wolves, you know, this, this idea of a ballot initiative, you know, this biology by ballot is absolutely ridiculous. And I think it's, it's, it's bad, um, precedent that that sets. Um, now, you know, again, I think, you know, wolves are already coming into Colorado. I think, you know, in our opinion, they deserve to be, you know, I think on the landscape, but they deserve to be managed by the states, you know, and I think that's the way we look at grizzly bears, you know, in Wyoming, our chapter there, you know, came out and we made a statement about, how bears definitely, definitely needed to be delisted and then managed by the states. And so this idea that, you know, we're anti-predator hunting, that's not the case. And I think that, you know, with the North American model and the tools that we have, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, that the states are now managing wolves. You know, I think that's, uh, that's an important step. And I think this idea of a ballot initiative, um, wasn't great. And, you know, people might think it took us a while to get there. And that's partly because of our structure and, and really working with our chapter. Now, does this mean that we're going to spend all of our resources, you know, on predator management in Colorado uh, and this ballot initiative? I would say no. You know, I think we just this last summer worked with the department in Colorado to add 100,000 acres of new access on state lands. You know, there are state lands there absolutely, you know, they're managed in a weird way where sportsmen have to lease them back to themselves, right? It's like state land that belongs to everybody, but you have to lease lands there. So there's hardly any lands that are open to hunting that are state lands in Colorado. And so we work with the, you know, the director of fish and game there and we work with um, the governor and able to get a hundred thousand acres of new public land to hunt. Um, I, you know, we just, I was at the North American Wildlife Conference this last week in Omaha, Nebraska, talked to the director again. We're going to get another 200,000 acres this year and then a 200,000 after that. That's 500,000, that's a half a million acres of new public access that we didn't have. And that's really, you know, what we focus on is making sure you have access to public lands and waters and the fish and wildlife habitat when you get there. And so these other issues, while our chapters weigh in on them, they're not like, we're not spending a ton of resources, if that makes sense. No, I understand totally. And and I, I will say like, yeah, your volunteers, um, I like, I don't want to, not that they're not, don't deserve more airtime, but your volunteers are unbelievable. What they do is unbelievable. Um, I can't imagine anybody would be, I, I guess they need a throat punch if anybody was against what your volunteers are doing. Like most of the, <laughs> this podcast is not going to be on your volunteers because they're saints. Um, it's going to be more on the, the questions that I get, you know, coming through on, on emails and PMs and, and for you guys to obviously have your platform to, to discuss those. It is pretty amazing work, what your, what your volunteers uh, do and they should definitely, I mean, everybody should tip their hat and, and thank them. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, not to detour off what we were talking about. It, it is, it is nice. And I want to uh, tell you, Aaron, I mean, I've said on every board meeting we've had for however many years I've been doing this. And um, I think there's a bit of a miss perception about um, maybe at least how EHA operates. We're a grassroots up organization. We're not a top down organization. And I don't I don't think I've sat on a board meeting where somebody on our board hasn't reminded us. Um, remember, everything we do is to service and facilitate our members because they're the lifeblood of our organization. 
organization. So we're a little bit different maybe than some orgs, or even if we're not, I want to reiterate the degree to which um, our members and our volunteers really are, they really pull through the entire organization. So um, what those people do is is just humbling to us, um, the passion that they have to make this, to make all these things better. So it's, it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree totally. Um, you know, as far as like, uh, w- one of the big questions that comes up and, and, and this was something that, that, you know, as I'm studying and, and, and figuring out what's what and who's who, like the, one of the main contributors to like the grizzly bear band was the, uh, Western environmental law center in British Columbia. And you guys, and this is a question that pops up all the time. You guys are linked as partners with them, which definitely raises the question of where do you guys stand, which is why that pops up. You know, the with the for as what I've read and what I've gathered, they they were anyway a big part of the financing, funding, and everything else of of getting bear grizzly bear hunting banned in British Columbia. And then as I look, it show you, and this is just me googling. It show you got shows the BHA as a partner with them, which obviously does raise a red flag. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? Sure. So I think, I, you know, I talked about that earlier. You know, our British Columbia chapter um, is totally against the bear, uh, you know, banning or bear hunting ban, I guess, up in British Columbia. Um, and it's more because of just that population is so big. Um, and there's got to be a way to manage them. And there was people up there that enjoyed hunting grizzly bears. And so our chapter, just so everybody knows that they were, they wrote a letter against that whole process. Um, as far as the Western Environmental Law Center, um, we're engaged, uh, talked about, you know, one lawsuit, um, earlier, but like the, we were offline, but we have another active one right now, um, against the Forest Service, and it's around access in the crazy mountains in Montana. And so, um, utilizing the Western Environmental Law Center because they're doing it pro bono for us for free. Um, and, and I will tell you that, you know, I, we were, I guess, unaware of, of the actions up in uh, British Columbia, but I look at that as totally separate because of the stuff that we're doing here in Montana. You know, it's trying to make sure the Forest Service does its job and keeps open these, you know, roads and trails that have been open, you know, for almost a hundred years, um, uh, to the crazy mountains in Montana. And so that's, that's like partners is a very loose term, I would say there. Like they're, we have one lawyer there that is working with us uh, on the crazy mountains. Gotcha. And Aaron, um, you can, you can guarantee, I don't think there's ever been a case that doesn't adhere to this with BHA. If there are wildlife management decisions that are made in ways other than through our scientific managers making those decisions and recommendations through the normal processes, so, for instance, the ballot, the ballot initiative in Colorado or the grizzly bear decision in British Columbia, I think I'm correct in saying both of those would be would run afoul of the North American model because those those decisions were made for political reasons or potentially for political reasons, I guess, in Colorado, other than scientific managers managing our game um, the way that that we believe they should be. Then BHA is against it. I guess it's real simple. So if you if you see that anywhere, any question that that applies to, we're in favor of the scientific managers managing the wildlife the way that they should and always have. Right. And that makes sense. That makes total sense. And it, again, I, these are the questions that pop up frequently, which is why I'm asking. And I totally, in defense of people that 
I can see how that would raise a red flag because it raised a red flag immediately for me. And if I would have had one of your guys' phone numbers, I would have called you. I didn't get it till recently because I was like, well, what the hell? The same people that like, oh, Safari Club International, where their their attorneys are going to bat or battle against one thing, then they're the, you know, the Western Environmental Law Center is going to battle against, you know, Safari Club International and then you guys were linked as a partner. I'm like, well, that's a good question. And you guys answered it great. Um, it, but that is stuff that does pop up. And it, it is it is a big bowl of spaghetti trying to sift through all this shit. It is difficult at times. And I don't know, maybe I'm making it more difficult than it is. But I mean, as, as far as from what I see, what I find and everything else, I, I think you guys would maybe agree that it does get confusing um, as far as how the, all that works because you guys are trying to basically do the best for public land you can, and sometimes that does include organizations that are anti-hunting if it does benefit public land. Is that Did I explain that very well? Is that correct or no? I mean, I think, Aaron, the way I would like, like respond to that is that look at our body of work and what we do, you know, and 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 really, you know, I think – you know, there's this 80-20 rule that, you know, you can agree on 80% and probably disagree on 20%. And I think that, you know, I would hope that that's, you know, something that you and I share on this phone. Um, I know it's definitely something I share with my wife. Um, and I know it's something that, you know, I share with most of my friends is that if I agree with them, you know, 100% of the time, I think that would be a weird world. Um, what we're trying to do is make sure that, you know, we we find folks that we can agree with 80% of the time. And then that 20%, you know, you either look away or you try to have that tough conversation. And, you know, I think that, you know, as, you know, our numbers dwindle as an overall percentage, and I'm talking about hunting numbers in particular um, here in the United States, is that we have to think about how we are working with, you know, folks that don't necessarily look like us to make sure that we perpetuate the things that we love. And, um, and so we're doing that, you know, I think, and, and actively, but I think the one that we were just talking about, those are two separate things for us. And again, like our British Columbia chapter came out against, um, and, uh, and then we're utilizing them as, as, you know, for their legal expertise here in Montana on a specific issue. Gotcha. And I would, and I just, I just want to, but I want to reiterate there are certain, um, there are certain bedrock non-negotiable principles that we don't violate, that BHA doesn't violate. I mean, and, and I go back to the North American model of wildlife management. You can just go right to that. If there is, if there's something going on that violates that North American model of wildlife management, then, I mean, you can call us and ask us. We'll certainly answer the question, but you can, I can guarantee you what the answer is going to be. And in both of these cases, it's that. So that's not, that's a non-negotiable thing with us. Gotcha. And so unlike the wolves in Colorado, same kind of thing, even though, as I understand it, it is not even the species that was was originally here. It's a totally different species of wolf. You guys are fine with them being here as long as there is a, there needs to be a preordained, predetermined, preset way to make sure and keep those numbers in check. You're okay with them being here, but there also needs to way to, to be a, a way to keep those numbers in check. It, is that true or false? I, I would say that, you know, I think we're against the biology. That's like just hands down. Um, as wolves move into Colorado, they need to be managed by the states, like period, right? And so, like, there's already, you know, I think success being seen and 
Idaho and Montana and Wyoming there. Um, and, and so the states, you know, taking over that management versus the feds, I think is a really good thing. There's a long track record of uh, state wildlife managers, uh, not only bringing species back, but, you know, doing a very good job managing them. And so, you know, our, our thoughts there is, yeah, they're, I think, you know, they deserve to be on the landscape, but they deserve to be managed just like anything else. Gotcha. Now, why do you think it is people want wolves and aren't bitching about grizzlies? Because nobody wants a grizzly in Colorado. I'm assuming it's because grizzly eat people uh, and wolves won't. Because if we're going off that North American model, grizzlies need to be reintroduced as well. And this has jack shit to do with the BHA. It's more me laughing at society in general. But what do you guys think about that? I mean, I think, I mean, there's a philosophical thing there, right? I think there's lots of studies done on that, but, you know, it probably goes back to Little Red Riding Hood in a lot of ways, right? Like, wolves are uh, toothy animals. Um, they produce a lot faster than grizzly bears do, um, and they get a lot of ink. Um, and so I think I think that's probably where it comes from there, is that, like, um, a lot of that uh, is, like, the big bad wolf, and um, that started with, you know, Little Red Riding Hood when you were a little kid. Yeah, I, I just get a kick out of it because um, if you follow – and again, Colorado is bad when it comes to far left groups picketing and, you know, you go to a movie theater. Hey, do you want wolves in Colorado? They don't mention that, you know, they're basically like you don't throw muskies in your trout pond unless you just don't want any trout. You really don't want to throw wolves in your elk herd without any management because then you, you got a wolf herd. Yeah, well, you got a wolf pack. You don't have an elk herd anymore. Like the Lolo region is a good example of that from that did not do well for that area for quite some time. And so why aren't people talking about bringing grizzlies back? They were here at the same time. Grizzlies don't get the publicity to get bringing them back where wolves do. And this has very little to do with the BHA. It's more of me shooting the shit with you guys. I mean, personally, with both of you guys, how do you feel about you know, wolves, basically the reintroduction into Yellowstone, how that played out, as well as Colorado. Yeah, I, I guess I would, and I look at, you know, I know, what I know best is Montana. What I know best is like where I live. I live in Missoula, Montana. And down the Bitterroot, you know, um, on the little national forest, there was definitely an impact to elk. And so folks got, to get, got together, my local rod and gun club, Hellgate Hunters and Anglers, there's the River Valley Fishing Game Association, and the Elk Foundation got together. They said, let's give some money to Fish Life and Parks to actually see what's going on. And, you know, there was the wolves were coming back in. Um, you had a major fire. Like, what are, what are the factors? And so they started really looking at that. And what came out is it was black bears that were having the biggest impact on that elk population. Um, that, and they also had a season where, you know, the last two weeks of the season where if it's brown, it's down. And they were killing like 160 elk in a day down there. And, and so they looked at kind of all those different pieces and they said, okay, we need to increase our management on wolves. We definitely need to increase our management on black bears. And wow, this fire is going to come back and it's, you know, the, that habitat is going to be absolutely amazing browse habitat once it starts to come back. And so now when you look at that population, it is rebounded. And a big piece of that was figuring out what the science was, not what the fear was, but what the science was. And so having uh, the ability to manage those black bears in particular, increase the harvest on black bears down the Bitterroot. It's had amazing success. And so I think, you know, again, sports organizations got together, worked with Fish Life and Parks and said, what is actually, you know, happening on the ground? And they figured it out. And so I think it always goes back, Aaron, to that North American, you know, model of wildlife management and, you know, the, I guess the hysteria that was kind of around wolves. Uh, some of that was well-deserved. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, they looked at what was going on figured it out 
now that population is on the increase and uh, and the opportunities are increasing for all of us as well. So um, that's kind of, I guess, where I would stand on that. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, the Colorado thing right now is a good example of usurping that that process. Um, essentially, if you have if you have wildlife management decisions made by ballot initiatives, it just takes all of that factual study and addressing, managing things right, bringing the elk herd, it just takes it away from the wildlife managers. And that's, you know, that's why we're against that kind of managing wildlife by ballot. It's a, it's a bad idea. Well, and I, you know, speaking from, as, from a Coloradan perspective, yeah, wolves are cool. I think I've been around them too much, specifically in southern British Columbia, as well as the Northwest Territories, North Idaho. I'm not a fan of wolves. I'm, I'm not the redneck with the beard in my hand saying kill them all. Totally, they're cool looking. But the reasons they're stating to bring back wolves in Colorado could totally be handled by hunters in a very, very short period of time. That's a known number, meaning if you were to shut down Rocky Mountain National Park for three days, that is a hard number. You know exactly the revenue that will be lost from that. You know exactly how many hunters can go there, and you probably can pretty close since they are somewhat tame, have a pretty good amount of how many elk you can take out of that population to, to lower it rather than reintroducing something that is basically, in my opinion, from, from what I've seen, a killing machine. They kill everything in front of them. Now, uh, people may argue with that. That's just what I've seen with my own eyes. That's where I have the issues. When you talk about the North American model, well, I mean, you, it's a little bit, it's kind of a fine line because you could generate revenues and money by letting hunters into Rocky Mountain National Park, get the money back that you would lose from standard visitors coming in where it'd be kind of a draw, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't be gaining any money. You wouldn't be losing. The park would get its money back from the hunters. The, the herd would go down where you reintroduce wolves. You don't know what the total impact is going to be. Again, this doesn't have much to do with the BHA. It's more of us just shooting the shit. What freaks me out is the end outcome of what could happen and the fight against the management of wolves once they're reintroduced because it looked like it was one hell of a fight up in your guys' neck of the woods. Was it pretty rough going? Did it seem like? Obviously, I don't live up there. You guys had to fight tooth and nail for a while to get uh, management of wolves, and now there's basically an open season on them in Idaho from what I understand, isn't there? I mean, was it hot? Absolutely. Uh, I think anybody that was in uh, Montana or Idaho um, it was probably one of the hottest topics around. Um, that has definitely died down now. You know, I think that the, I think and I don't quote me on this number, but I think our quota here in Montana is around 160 wolves. I don't think that's ever really been met um, as far as you know people going out. I think there's people that are becoming very good wolf hunters or trappers, um, and I, I have a feeling that. And this is <laughs> here now. I'd love to hear your reaction to this. But the, you know, the hound hunters are some of the best, uh, advocates for mountain lions, right? Being on the landscape. They love chasing them. You know, they hardly are killing them, but they love chasing them. They love working the dogs. And so when it comes to mountain lion management, like they're the ones that show up to those meetings and have the most passion. And at some point, there's going to be some wolf hunters that love chasing wolves around. They're really good at it. And, you know, they're going to be the ones that are stepping up. I think back to this kind of question about, you know, on the landscape or not on the landscape. You know, I, I'm a pretty big student of Aldo Leopold. And, you know, Aldo Leopold, you know, he wrote his kind of books back in the, what was that, the 1940s. He really, he was the kind of, yeah, he's, he's like the father of game management, right? And, and really talked about how all parts of 
the community, the biological community, are important. And so that's a little teeny salamander to a, you know, white-tailed deer, to an elk, to a wolf, to a grizzly bear, like all those parts matter. And when they're not in the landscape, you know, like things just aren't, um, I guess, balance is the wrong word, but the integrity, I think, is the word that he used. Uh, the integrity of that, that, that biological community suffers. And so for me, you know, I think personally, again, and I, is that, is that I think that, you know, all species deserve an opportunity, you know, that have been there traditionally and um, we should figure out, um, how to manage them. And I think we've done a really good job managing them. And um, I think the species that I talked about, like the salamanders and, you know, we know nothing about, you know, and I think that we know a lot about game species. Um, I think we're getting to know a lot more about predators, um, which are game species in a lot of ways. Um, but there's these other, you know, species that we don't know much about. And, you know, there hasn't been much money for them. And I'll kind of, there's <laughs> a little bit of an aside, but there's a, you know, there's a federal legislation now called the Recovering America's Wildlife Act that would not only provide money for more money for game species, but also more money for non-game species so that, you know, we can keep common species common. And then these uh, species that are in trouble, we get them off, you know, um, out of the, out of the emergency room, I would say, and that is better for everybody. And that bill is supported, you know, by tons of hunting and fishing organizations and tons of other conservation organizations. So that's one place where we're coming together. And that's a long way of saying, um, Aaron, that I think, you know, again, I'm a student of Aldo Leopold and really, uh, um, follow his mantra. I think Land's, Land's volunteering to start a organization, Salamanders Unlimited. (laughs) Only giant salamanders. I was just going to say, I'm from Oregon. The Pacific giant salamander is a badass salamander. Um, I was on a trail crew team. I, you guys don't know much about me, but at, at 14, I, I joined it. It's the youth conservation corps and I joined that, which is generally cleaning up shitters and porta potties. But since I was from that area and knew the wilderness, the trail crew team adopted me and let me basically 10 to 12 miles a day clearing all the, it's, it's Mount Jefferson area, three finger jacks all burnt to hell now. But, um, you know, hiking those trails as well in the Brighton Bush region. I'm not sure you guys probably aren't familiar with that. When you would see a Pacific giant salamander, which wasn't very often, this has nothing to do with anything with any of us. That is something you look at in awe that it it was even created because it's just not something you see very often. You know, you throw down a two-foot salamander, it makes you look at it for a while and wonder how the hell it got there and how many are there. I mean, it is amazing. Um, And I don't know if you were referring to the Pacific giant or there's another name for him, but um, if we're going to talk about salamanders, I got to at least give that one props because I've seen a few of them and I was like, wow, that is a giant salamander. Are you kidding me? Lance got Lance got 20 preference points. He's been trying to draw a salamander tag for years. You don't have Pacific giant salamander underwear, do you? That'd be awkward if you did. Uh, uh, socks, socks. Socks, yeah. I guess it fit better up the foot and the calf, so yeah, it makes sense. Um <laughs> So with, with, you know, what we're talking about, um, you know, on these, these different, like the wolf management, I don't think it's an issue of if you asked most guys that are in the woods, right. And I, I hang out with a lot of different predator hunters, the Lancasters. I hang out with Bart quite a bit. He is a predator hunting fool. He loves hunting predators. His fear isn't the reintroduction. His fear is the management portion and the uphill battle. And this is coming from a guy that just had, you know, grizzly bear hunting taken from him. And then obviously you guys being loosely tied to some of those other, you know, foundations, organizations, whether you guys meant it to be that way or not, 
that's where the the trouble arises is like, okay, that that's where that red flag comes from. And, and obviously talking with you guys, you know, it makes sense where you're coming from, but, but it is a, a red flag. And, and that was one of the other, you know, big topics and big questions I had that came through from guys, you know, some of your funding, you guys won some type of award for basically being the most open book as far as, far as your funding goes. Is that correct? This was during my Googleizing. You guys just won something basically as one of the best nonprofits for showing off your, your finances. Is that correct? Yeah, there's like four, I think, four different kind of, you know, watchdog groups that look at all nonprofits. And that's not just like hunting, fishing, or conservation nonprofits. That's, you know, that's uh, half that for humanity. That's like everybody. And um, we were, you know, gold star rated and um, by all four of them. And so that's because of the open transparency of what we do. So with that, this giant, this list that keeps going around on the internet, I'm sure you guys have seen it. It looks like a black ops mission where there's redacted um, paperwork. Part of that was the Hewlett Foundation. They did they they gave you guys seven hundred and fifty thousand. Is that correct? Because that was what was redacted off of that paperwork, from what I could figure out. And I'm it's part of a guess. Um, so I figured I'd ask. So I mean, they've given us money over time. What I would say that redacted piece. You know, you look at you know other organizations, Trout Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited. You look at again like Habitat for Humanity. Like that is like standard practice. And so this idea that like it's, like BHA is being nefarious is you know, it's laughable to me. We're following the law. We're doing what other nonprofits are doing. And and to me, look at what we do like every single time. And you know I think that's partly what's coming out today is like let's talk about the issues um, and that money. You know like we don't. We don't take money unless it's going to fulfill our mission, right? And we don't take money unless it's going to make sure that we have more access to public lands and waters and the fish and wildlife habitat on the ground when you get there. And so, you know, for me, it's standard practices, Aaron. And um, there's a lot of people that are trying to say that, like, that it's not absolutely standard practices. And, um, you know, we're following the IRS rules and we're following kind of the lead of other nonprofits as well. Yeah, Aaron, I, it is laughable to suggest that uh, anyone at BHA is somehow quietly subverting hunting and fishing with an effort that I can't even quite imagine. I don't know how that would happen, but, you know, I've sat in on every board meeting there is and uh, led led a fair amount of them. And um, I've been around an awful lot of our members, was at the organization, was with the organization when it was a fraction of what it is now and have, have been very, you know, very happy to see it grow like it is. And this this sort of murmur that BHA is in some way um, anti-hunting or that, that we're somehow being funded by people that are anti-hunting. I guess that's news to all of us that are, that are in BHA. I mean, I, I used to think that like I was some sort of, you know, badass hunter. I mean, I hunted, I counted them up before we hopped on this podcast. I hunted, I think last year, 52 or 54 days in um, 2019. Oh, I crushed you. My job is way better yeah, okay. than yours. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just so fucking I, around. Go ahead. So, so, so honestly, it, it, you you kind of would be like a BHA member because I I hunt and I think I hunt I think I hunt a lot and then I go to a BHA meeting, a rendezvous, in in a beer line or a restaurant or a symposium or walking through the hotel lobby. I am humbled by these people who make me look like a freaking neophyte, man. I mean. I mean, I think I run around hunting and shooting stuff. These people, by the thousands, are just 
crushing me. They they and they're so passionate about UCN our volunteers and so um they're passionate about making the world a better place to do these things, about wildlife management to make it better for us and our kids. Um and I'm just you know, that's what VHA is all about and I'm I'm thrilled to be humbled by these people. I mean I'm like it's like I I found these people who love hunting as much or more than I do. I didn't think that existed. It's it's a magic thing. Yeah, I have a sickness. Um, I, I, I can't say I love it more than you do, but I, I think if I had to gamble, I would say that uh, I'd give you a run for your for your money. Um, and your your members, that, I don't, there is no doubt you guys have very passionate, and you can see it when anything pops up online, negative towards BHA. It's like grab the popcorn, here comes a shit show. It, it I mean, they're very passionate, um, you know, about what, what they do. I think the, and again, this is off of my, my own research, right? Like I, I was basically given an assignment with you guys by multiple people to, Hey, research this and see what you find. Sean was one of them. He wouldn't, he wouldn't really comment on anything. Sean's like, look it up and come, come, come away with your own findings or whatever. And the one thing I found was very, everything you just said, very passionate. Your members are, are definitely, well, this is crass, but balls deep into it. They are definitely in it to win it. The only thing that I found that is alarming is is like the seven hundred and fifty thousand from from Hewlett. That was alarming. That raised a red flag because they are definitely an anti hunting organization. And that was where I was like, Well, okay, I can see where some of these guys are coming from, why there's red flags. And it seems like with you guys, your stance or statement on that is if it's for the greater good, we will take money from, you know, anti-hunting organizations if it furthers our cause and our mission. Is that? Well, first yeah. off, no, that, that's not exactly true. But l- let me let me say one other thing. Having lived through a long time where we see reductions in hunter numbers, and, and I think everybody rightfully decries the fact that, um, you know, hunting license sales, are, we see all these graphs, we talk about it all the time. How do we recruit more hunters? Um, why are these Why are these numbers going down? And here you have BHA um, coming along, bringing new hunters into the fold. Um, our demographic is such. Land could speak to. We've done these demographic studies on our membership, but bringing new what, what we call like I guess adult onset hunters into the fold, trying it for the first time, whether that's through wild food or maybe they start they help us on a project and then. They realize that, um, oh, wait, all these hunters aren't these big, bad people I thought they were. And for long, we have these college kids that are starting hunting for the first time, or we have a single mom who's taking her kids hunting for the first time. Those people don't always look like us or go to the same places that we as hunters have frequented forever or act in the same way that we did. But, man, what a magic thing it is to bring these people into the fold and convert them to this thing that we all love so much. And I, I think that's an awesome thing about BHA. And it, and it means that we're not all monolithic, same, you know, look the same, act the same, have the same habits. And I just think we have to, I mean, we're proud of embracing that kind of diversity and bringing people into it. And Aaron, I, I think, you know, I mean, the idea of the, you know, like the Hewlett Foundation, this comes from Hewlett Packard money, so long established money in this country. That is their anti-hunting, I think, is false. Um, and they're giving money to multiple hunting organizations besides us. And, you know, again, the work that we're doing 
is to make sure you have access to public lands and waters, and then the fish and wildlife habitat when you get there to hunt and fish. And and that's the, that's where we're getting like that's what we're taking this money to go do right. And so there's some large scale things like the land and water conservation fund that we've talked about today. And I think that you know everybody should be proud of you know where we've come with the land and water conservation fund. I think it's been a historic effort that's been done by our community. But I know that's a major major uh, um, focus for the Hewlett Foundation. And so you know to me, you know we're not like. This idea that we're, and I just want to make sure that like, like we're not taking money from anti-hunters to do, you know, conservation work. Like I don't, I wouldn't put them in that anti-hunting group. I think that's a black and white, which I don't think is correct. I, I was just going to say, I definitely would lump them in personally from what I read. There's some anti-hunting there. There may be some pro, but there is definitely some anti in there. I mean, this is my own personal opinion. I'm not speaking for anyone. As I look it is definitely not black and white because there is some of that funding that goes to pro hunting, but there is definitely some funding in there that goes to anti. And a lot of that has to do with more predator management than anything. And, and there, you know, it's, it's weird what you talk about, um, like the Dave, David Peterson, you know, I won't say single handedly got uh, spring bear hunting and, and bear baiting canceled in Colorado, but he was a big part of it and he's a hunter. And so it's, that's where a lot of this stuff comes from, which you guys, I'm sure, know, um, you know, and, and why we're discussing this right now. Because it, it, I was I was very intrigued by researching this, probably because I actually had to use my brain for something that it's normally used to, you know, kind of going through all of this stuff. But there were several other things that popped up while I was looking through this. One of the things that you guys took like two black eyes and a definite kick in the nuts on was the Quiet Waters Act. Like, what the hell happened with that? Because that popped up frequently as a black eye for you guys. How did that initiate? What happened? Did you guys think it was a good idea? Like, what happened there? And that was Montana. Yeah, no, I think, and thank you for bringing that up. So, you know, I think there's a long tradition of utilizing our rivers here in Montana. Um, And, you know, the majority of those rivers are really conducive to, you know, floating um, either in a raft or a canoe or a kayak. Um, there's some rivers in Montana that are, you know, utilizing motorized use. You know, I, I hunt ducks. I'm not going to tell you exactly where I hunt ducks, but it's north of Missoula. And I use a, you know, I use a, a motor up there. Um, and so with the idea with, with this, uh, kind of, and I, I hate the term quiet waters, by the way. Um, but the idea that, that we wanted to make sure that we keep it the same, right? Keep it the way it is right now. There's all these new technologies coming on. You know, there was some hovercraft. Uh, technologies that we want to be used up the Bitterroot. So think about hovercrafts on the Bitterroot River. I don't know if you've been to that river, but it doesn't make much sense. Um, and uh, whether that's like, I think, the displacement of wildlife or the kind of um, non-traditional use. Um, and so there was pieces like about, let's try to, you know, these new technologies coming on. I think there's other ones that are like these uh, motorized, motorized uh, bikes. Electric you know, all bikes. of that too, but I, <laughs> but I think, the, but specific to the water, like motorized, like stand up paddle boards, right? Or like surfboards and that, that can get in like pretty small amount of water. And like, what is that going to do to just kind of, um, again, the lifeblood, I guess I would say, of while that habitat is, is water. So the initial, I think, idea was to really try to make it the same or keep it the way it is. I think that there was some, you know, once it goes to the Fish and Game Commission, there was some things that were added that, you know, were not in the original proposals by us that were pretty controversial. Um, and so as we moved through that effort, we tried to make them better, but I think really realized pretty early on 
that this was looked at as trying to, to take things away from people versus trying to keep things the same way. And so ultimately, you know, the commission decided not even to vote on it. And I think, you know, from my perspective, and I'd love to hear Ryan, but like from my perspective, I think that was a good decision. And, you know, now again, uh, since that has happened, you know, there was a proposal for hovercrafts here on the Bitterroot River in, um, you know, western Montana. And it, and they shot it down right away, the commission did. And I think that was partly because of some of the work that happened out of that Quiet Waters Initiative. But yeah, I mean, we took some black eyes out of that. But I, I will say the original purpose of that was trying to keep everything the way it is. Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, there were lessons learned there. I will say right up front, the intent of it um, in discussing it with um, the Montana board that helped put that initiative together, um, many of which, in fact, I'll probably say most of which are duck hunters themselves, um, was never to reduce anybody's ability anywhere to, well, I'll say explicitly duck hunt or goose hunt, because I think that's where some of the um, that's where some of the pressure came on it. And um, like Lance said, it was more to keep keep it like it is now and keep hunting like it is now um, without having, for instance, there are there's river pressures increasing in Montana to an extent that has some people scared when you have families floating down a river, like literally in a drift boat or a raft or sometimes inner tubes. And then to think of increasing pressures at certain times of the year of jet boats coming up a small river at high speed. Um, it was meant to address some stuff like that as an increasing thing in the future, not to take things away from the way that we manage them now. Um, and I think a chapter and an organization and a group of people that tries to do things occasionally is going to screw up in the way they implement them or they're going to learn things from it. But that's, that's just a byproduct of a group of people trying to do the right thing. I can assure you that these people that live to hunt and fish, literally that's what they live to do, never set out to try to harm hunting and fishing on Montana's rivers. Again, a laughable concept. Gotcha. I I, I will say from the outside looking in, reading that uh, and going through it, I will say it looked like initially you guys kind of shit the bed on that one, probably because of the way it was perceived and of what you guys just said. Like I read it and I'm like, you guys are your fucking mind. But it was the way it was perceived as I read it. And and you guys explaining it, I, I get it. But, and, you know, being being fair, reading that would be like you guys are against all motorized vehicles going up and down the river. That's that's how I read it in a in a very blunt, like, yeah, you guys don't want boats on there. And, and then you guys took huge blowback from it. But, again, it's easy for me to sit here and backstreet quarterback, you know, or back, backseat quarterback, read it and say, oh, yeah, you guys shit the bed. Just my own opinion reading it, I think it was how it was perceived from the get-go was the biggest, you know, issue rather than maybe what your guys' in, intent was because, man, there was all kinds of hatred on the, way, on, on the you know, internet. You Google that and, good Lord, it, it, was, it was bad. But it sounds like you guys basically just wanted things not to change. Not restrict, yeah. well, just keep things well, the same. Well, or not get not get worse than not have not have an increasing amount of technology as our world evolves, or actually used to evolve before this virus thing hit us. But um, <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't think anybody. Including you guys didn't test positive, right? You, I might get it through the mic, right? You guys, <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's go not ahead. Been said yet? That yeah. have, that's a, a transferable way yet. So I think yeah. you're okay. All right, go ahead. Yeah, but I don't think anybody, including including duck hunters, now want to wake up to like 500 hovercraft coming up a river in the in the summer and screwing things up. You know, and that's it. It wasn't about ever about reducing hunting. I mean, here's a 
this I'll get in the weeds for just a tiny second, but for instance, um, there was a proposal. Part of the layout of the date was screwed up initially by one week, and it did cut, I think it cut into five or six days of an early duck season or a late duck season. I can't remember what it was on one of the rivers. And and the guys having, having um, inventoried all these rivers across the state realized right away, oh, crap, we made a mistake on that. We definitely don't want to impact duck season on that particular river. So they go back and try to change it. Well, people interpret, see, they're trying to take our duck hunting away. That was never, ever, ever the intent. And so I just want to make clear that, I mean, these, these people that are doing this, these volunteers, like they literally live to hunt and fish. So when before anybody lobs a bomb at them saying they're trying to take our hunting and fishing away, I mean, again, a, it's a laughable thing. As you guys talk about this, this it brings up something else, um, you know, when you like what's perceived. So I know you guys are, uh, when I say you guys, meaning uh, the BHA, you know, transferring over from the Obama to the Trump administration. Um, there's a lot of talk as far as opening up the national parks and things like that. Um with the and God, there's another name for it. What the wild, national monuments? The, well, no, not the national monuments, but <laughs> that one I can remember. the uh, The name, um, the wetlands, water. What the hell is it called? Uh, anyway, water act. Yeah. So, as I researched that, what I found, um, nothing has has been pushed through with that as far as the Trump administration. What I found, and maybe you guys can correct me is that was actually like a lease that started with Johnson. So many, 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 many years ago. And, and, and obviously, as time has gone through, every president until Obama renewed that lease. And when it got to Obama, he let it subside. He didn't sign it. And the Trump administration was about to get sued. So he renewed that lease again, but nothing has gotten pushed further. Now, is is that's what I could read, and I know you guys. And when I say you guys, BHA, that has been brought up back and forth. Um, and you guys are good. You give praise when praise is due, and you know you give credit where credit's due. You oppose when it's time to oppose. And what I'm finding on that is that incorrect, or is that correct? So I think what you're referencing is the Boundary Waters uh, Canoe Area Wilderness up in uh, northern Minnesota. Now that I'm kind of listening to you, that, that's one and of them. Yeah. A, yeah, and it was, so it was a it was a mineral lease that was given, um, you know, way back in the day. Uh, Johnson, I think you're probably correct there as far as timing. Um, it was a long time ago. So it was, and so part of that stipulations are, you know, and again, this is I think for lawyers to talk about. Neither one of us, I don't think anybody's a lawyer on this phone today. But part of that, like, like you had to you know, show some kind of work um, or prospects of doing work, and that really hadn't happened. So the administration um, decided to protect the boundary waters rather than allow a mine a quarter mile south of the boundary waters. Um, now the new administration comes in and have basically, you know, declared that it's it's it would be okay to proceed to explore the idea of a mine a quarter mile south of the boundary waters. And Aaron, I don't know if you've ever been up to the boundary waters. I've been up there twice now, and you know, a mine a quarter mile south. Like there's never been a copper sulfide mine that hasn't leached ever, um, and all that water flows north. So there's a ridge that's uh, I don't know 40, 50 miles south of that, and so everything that is north of that ridge, all that water flows uh, into uh, the Boundary Waters. And the Boundary Waters is the most visited wilderness in the country. Um, kids from five years old to like you know grandmas that are 90 can go up there because it's such an accessible area because it's all water, and that that place is all water. So 
Not only have we had problems with copper sulfide mines in places where water isn't the dominant feature on the landscape, but now you want to put into a you know place where that is the dominant. And you know it's not a matter of if that's going to happen; it's it's when. And so I think our stance on that, and it's definitely you know we took the lead from our chapter in Minnesota. Chapter or chapter in Minnesota is one of our oldest chapters. They've been working on trying to protect the boundary waters for a long time. And we took the lead from them, and really, you know, this is just not a place to put a mine. Doesn't mean we're against all mining, but holy cow, is the the boundary water is one of the most important special places in the world, and we have to protect it. And the idea of you know um, having a mine up there doesn't make any sense. And what I will say, it was pretty unfortunate, is that the Obama administration had initiated kind of a study on the potential impacts of that mine, and we're very, very, very close to having that done. It carried over into the new administration. The new administration decided not to continue that study when it was almost done and then renewed the lease uh, for this twin metals mine up there. I think, you know, that's something that, again, we've <clears throat> held the you know administration accountable on, and I think we have every right to do so. You know, and honestly, I, I'm pissed at the Obama administration for not pushing that across the line before. So um, it doesn't really matter which administration it is. I don't think we need a potential pollution of our most visited, I mean, hunting, fishing, oh, my God, up there. Um, we just don't need it. And so our, our chapter there, the on-the-ground volunteers, are very, very passionate about protecting that place. Yeah, and I lived in Minnesota, and I've been up there several times. I, I'm not going to not going to argue anything that you just said. It's pretty pretty amazing. It's also one of the you know only places you can canoe around and, you know, lunk in muskies and pike, um, you know, and, and be truly alone. Like, minus the portaging, which sucks, uh, it's pretty cool. And you, <laughs> um, it's pretty, pretty and, and amazing. The mosquitoes, yeah, the mosquito. Oh, my God. Yeah, don't. I'm getting, I'm twitching now talking about it. Um, the, the only reason why I'm asking you guys uh, this, and meaning you two directly, is where I'm trying to find this because I am a voter and just because I, I do like Trump, but I don't like everything Trump does. Uh, he needs to say the fuck off of Twitter. I will say that. Um, is he pushing that forward? Because I couldn't find that he was, but that doesn't mean I found everything that I was looking for. Because from what I saw, it's been stagnant. So other than him, you know, kicking back the lease, that was all I saw, or kicking the lease back up. That's all I could find. Yeah. So, I mean, he's starting the process and, and, and really, you know, I would say streamlining that opportunity. You know, when I say, like that process, like we, you know, the Obama administration said, okay, let's put a halt on this lease and this place is just too special to develop. And then the Trump administration comes in and says, no, we're going to renew that lease and, and, and start plans forward on developing a mine in the boundary waters. You know, and then I, and then at the same time, you know, really canceling this study. And like to me, if we're going to go forward, and even think about having a mine up in the boundary waters, you should probably complete that study. And um, and so that's where I think our chapter's at. That's where we're at. That's why we're supporting, you know, there's legislation right now um, in the House uh, to, uh, I think, what is it called? It's like the Boundary Waters Protection and Prevention, Pollution Prevention Act. That's by uh, Betty McCollum, who's from Minnesota. Um, and has bipartisan support. Like we're supporting that bill. I testified in front of Congress around that. That this is just too special a place. And so, you know, is the mine happening tomorrow? No. But are they pushing forward the process to make sure that they have a mine up there? I would say yes. Well, also, and missing an opportunity to stop it. So, it, we we could have, you know, all agreed that it, that that wasn't the place to put a copper sulfate mine. Um, but it seems like that that opportunity has passed us by, and we could have taken that. 
Gotcha. From both administrations, really. Um, from what I read, yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, one sat on his ass, and the other one, it looks like to be initiating it, is how I'm taking it just from a dude reading. One didn't do anything. Well, and, pretty close. Um, pretty close. I think you're right. So, what well, as far as like um, Trump expanding on like mining rights, how do you guys feel about that? Both you guys personally and the BHA. And this is just, again, us shooting the shit. Because me personally looking at it, I look at, one, it's good to be self-sufficient. Um, you know, two, at what level, what line do we cross to be self-sufficient, um, if, if that makes any sense? Like, I would like uh, the United States to be more self-sufficient, but where's that line drawn for self-sufficiency? And then there's the other part of it where, well, if we're not screwing, screwing up our own land, we're definitely going to be screwing up someone else's. Is that fair? So I think you bring up, Aaron, like the, the truthful complexity of all this stuff. Oh, it's a you nightmare. Know, um, and um, how you, a person or an organization shouldn't be able to make a yes or no statement on uh, an answer on something as broad as, well, what, what do you think about mining? I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying that the answer to this it, it is a case of where there isn't really a black and white. BHA, it, 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 it's not in our mission to run out and stop everything. That's not, it, we, we don't even ever talk about that. What, what we are in favor of is enhancing and protecting opportunities for us and our kids to hunt and fish and hike and canoe and everything else on our public lands and waters. And so every one of these decisions um, there isn't a one big we're for it or we're against it. It's a case-by-case basis, and I'll give you like a great example. Pebble mine in Alaska, in our opinion, horribly bad idea. Putting a big, put a big gold uh, heat bleach cyanide gold mine at the uh, headwaters of the largest remaining salmon fishery on the globe, super bad idea. Um, is there uh, places for energy extraction across American West that can be done that doesn't damage wildlife migrating corridors? Sure. We've been doing it, and and we're always in favor of responsible extraction where it can be done as long as uh, we do what we can to protect our hunting and fishing and, you know, antelope migration, mule deer migration, those sorts of things. So there's a give and a take, and and we're, you know, we're fully on board with that. We're reasonable folks who want to do the right thing for our constituency, but also understand we live on a globe. Well, Aaron, I guess I would just say that, you know, back to kind of like this idea of being now, we've heard the terms energy independence quite a bit, right? And I, I would agree with you. I think that, you know, that's something that we need to explore and be more self-sufficient, I think was your term. When I hear the term energy dominance, that that's is a, a bit term different. that, that, <laughs> that, that's a huge difference. And I, and I think that, that when you hear that term throughout history, whether that's in the United States or other places, that when it's energy dominance, that means other things are losing, right? When something is dominant, I mean, something else is subversive to that. And so instead of on our public lands where we're supposed to manage them for all the people and for a wide variety of uses, when I heard the word energy dominance, that means somebody's losing. And quite frankly, I think it's hunting and fishing. And so I think back to Ryan's point, I think oil and gas development is a really good one. Is it looking at ways to do oil and gas development in a responsible fashion? Instead of going in someplace and just doing, let's take it all right now and do everything we can to get it out of there. Like this phase development and cleaning up as you go. Uh, it's like I think Brian, you know, mentioned like wildlife corridors. You know, like sage grouse is something we haven't talked about today. But sage grouse are very susceptible to uh, any kind of development. And so, trying to figure out where important sage grouse kind of core areas are, stay out of those core areas, but then do development someplace else. And I think that you know there was a lot of work done by 
ranchers and conservationists, hunters, state agencies, federal agencies, you know, really hard collaborative work where they sit down at the table and they try to figure out, okay, so where are we going to say no to development and where are we going to say yes to development? And is there going to be some losers on each side? Yes. Is there going to be some winners and a path forward? Absolutely. And they came together with a plan and now those plans are kind of being ignored. And, and to me, you know, it's trying to figure out again that path forward. And I think Ryan is correct in that, you know, development needs to happen. Let's just figure out in the best way, um, you know, and, and in, in the right places for that to happen. Gotcha. And I don't, you know, Ryan, you mentioned like, you know, not picking on me, but, you know, you made this statement ahead of time, like it's too broad of a question. I don't know, man, you just, you just fucking answered it. I, I think that was the most sensible way to answer it. Like if someone asks me, you know, I'm totally for America being self-sufficient as possible. And it, I mean, anybody with common sense, I think would say, yes, it's got to make sense. It's got to be researched. It's got to be documented, long-term research. And if we can do it, hell yes, I think we should do it. When it starts to affect, especially in a major way, you know, obviously the land, but as well as the wildlife, the habitat, everything like that, I think that has to be taken into account and kind of triage. You you got to figure it out from there. So I don't think the question was as broad as maybe you thought. I, I think it's a pretty simple question. We all just answered well, it, I, right? And, <laughs> and I appreciate that. I, I look at, you know, where you get complexities as an example, that the energy dominance thing that land brought up. When I see a a mule deer wintering flat that has gas wells on it now that that the mule deer don't use that area anymore, and then I read that we have legalized and encouraging and are encouraging exporting of natural gas. So we're we're ruining these places so that we can export natural gas. It's not a it's not a self sufficiency thing. We're exporting it. Honestly, I get pissed off. I'm pissed that we ruined a place where I could hunt mule deer with my boys so we could export this stuff. Self-sufficiency is great, but why are we exporting this stuff? And, and, and I totally get that. I will say, though, hunting the southern Alberta plains, the mule deer didn't care. Um, I'm not saying that we need to rape the earth. Please don't take that the wrong way. But I will say hunting southern Alberta, the mule deer have not been affected by what they're doing in southern Alberta. I am not saying I want my you know, Eastern Colorado mule deer area and my, my buddy Alex's area to be covered with pump jacks. But I, I, I am saying where I just mentioned things have to be laid out, talked about, studied, and go from there, maybe bounced off of what's going on in Southern Alberta to Eastern Colorado or wherever the place may be. Is it ugly? Yeah. It, nothing like stalking a mule deer and low and crawl, low crawling behind a pump jack and, and because there's nothing there to hide behind it. Not exactly a peace and tranquil, tranquility, you know, in that. But I, I think that's where powers that be on multiple different sides of the fence should, should sit down and, and discuss that. And I totally can see why you'd be pissed. I, I get it. So I don't want you to take that, what I'm saying, the wrong way. What I will say, though, is seeing Southern Alberta, the mule deer were not affected by, by any of that. Is it good to look at? Hell no. Not good to look at. Was there the mule deer numbers really good there? Yeah, the, the mule deer numbers are fine, but it is ugly. And, I, you know, again, I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just going off of, of what I've seen. You know, do I want to hike into a wilderness area and see some mining operation on the way in? No, I don't. So it's, it is a very difficult line to draw and figure out what's right and, and what's wrong. And I think you guys would both you know, agree with that. The dominance thing though. Yeah. That's a little freaky. Um, that, that's a lot different than sufficient. 
I guess my, my point in my example is when you see VHA take a stance or when you see individual members become passionate about something, it's it's similar to the story I just told. Like I don't I'm happy that somebody that VHA members or that somebody is even if it's complex like you just said, Aaron, they're worried about that mule deer. Okay? That's what's driving them. They're not worried about it's not some anti hunting conspiracy. It's not trying to put oil businesses out of business. They're standing up for that mule deer and Teddy Roosevelt had a quote I'm, I'm going to butcher the quote now, but he essentially said, you know, somebody's got to stand up for the wildlife because they can't. Um, and that's what VHA members do every time. So I, people want to misinterpret that as somehow, again, I don't know how it would be anti-hunting, but in every case, just like the story I just told, they're standing up because they want to be able to go hunt that mule deer. Not save it, not lock it up, not keep it from people. They want to be able to go hunt that mule deer. And I, I think that's a, that's a good passion to have. Oh, definitely. And and again, I'm only, you know, I brought up the Southern Alberta uh, portion of it is if if we have to be, if we get to a point in time where we would need to expand and be self-sufficient in a certain area, it is going to be difficult for some people to say, hey, this may turn out all right. We may not like the way it looks. We may have to do it. But the mule deer, and I only bring up Southern Alberta because I've hunted up there, the mule deer are not going to be as affected as bad as we thought they were because of what hap, hap, you know, we can bounce that off the data from what has gone on in Southern Alberta. That is going to be a very sticky, very ugly, very, a lot of four letter words and hate mail back and forth. And who knows what else, if it comes to that, it's a difficult decision. I'm not, and this doesn't really have, this is just three guys bullshitting. I'm, I'm not really lumping BHA into this. It's just <laughs> The way that the world is working and, and, and expanding and growing, those are tough calls to make. And I, I certainly would – it would be difficult for me to make them knowing that I don't want to look at a pump jack, but knowing that I've stalked on mule deer 100 yards from a pump jack that seemed to be A-OK that were seven years old and 190 inches, that's a tough call. I, I mean, is it ugly? Yeah. Did the mule deer get affected? It sh- It certainly didn't seem that way. And I mean, who's going to make that call? How many people will be involved? Things like that. And obviously you guys would be involved in that. That's a, that's a tough one. And I, I would think we could all agree on that. That is a very fine line, a very sticky subject. Yeah. And I think that Aaron, I think that like you just brought something up, which I think is awesome. Is this idea, you know, that the people can be involved, you know, and then like in this case, these are resource management plans. There's also travel management plans that the forest service and the Bureau of land management go through. And that's really, you know, that's not very glamorous work, I would say, right? Like going through a plan that's proposed, trying to figure out, you know, kind of what is the best path forward. It's very complicated, I think, as has been described here in the last, you know, few minutes. But it's such important work to be at the table. And, you know, it's, again, it's not the, the access kind of stuff. I've talked a lot about the Land and Water Conservation Fund today. Like that's pretty sexy and, um, uh, if, if we ended up getting that to the president's desk, it's going to be one of the coolest things that's happened, I would say, in our lifetime. But then these, you know, these management plans that last for 15, 20 years, like, that's the grind that, you know, not only our members are, you know, involved in and our chapter leaders, but also staff. And it doesn't really get the headlines, uh, but it's important work to try to figure out the path forward that you're describing where we can have development, we can have wildlife habitat, and we can move forward. Honestly, to be a, a voice for hunters and fishermen at that table, in a in a world where, unfortunately, we as outdoors people, hunters and fishermen, um, 
are a lower are a lower percentage of the population than we were in 1950 or 1960 or whatever, it's really important that we have a voice at these sorts of planning sessions. Um, our, our guys in Oregon have been fighting a battle about it's a, it's a intricate battle, but because of increased pressure from um, metropolitan areas on a wilderness area that's also a great hunting area, there was talk of uh, hunting access being limited, just like hiker access, even after the guys had drawn a tag. And our members got involved in that. They're a voice for the hunters and the fishermen at that table. And that's just always the case with BHA. It's not like they secretly go in a back room and say, let's figure out how to cut hunting and fishing. No, they're the ones rushing to the front line to testify to make sure hunting and fishing gets its voice at these things. Right. All right. No, I, I totally understand that. And, and, you know, on, on, it is we're diving down multiple rabbit holes, which this is turning out to be a pretty cool podcast. I will, I, I must say, um, I, you know, <laughs> I think people enjoy this. So, you know, the, the hard questions that, you know, that I, when I say hard, the questions that I get hounded with for people that actually think I know what I'm talking about, like you said earlier, none of us are lawyers. Well, I'm, I'm a lawyer on a podcast, I guess, because people ask me shit that I have no, no ambition nor no, um, skill set to be, to be answering. And, and I don't, I'm just like, how the hell would I know? Well, what, you know, one of those questions that, that pops up, not to, not to bring up old stuff, your, your guys's relationship with, with Patagonia and the, the thing with Patagonia, um, Yvonne Chouinard is a, is an outdoorsman and he's a hunter to a certain degree. He is very anti grizzly hunting and, and really predator hunting in a lot of different ways. And you guys were linked to them loosely or greatly, as from what I understand, talking to Stubblefield fairly loosely. But you guys get lumped in with that. And Patagonia as a whole could be looked at either way. They could be looked at it as pro hunting because they're definitely into bird hunting. They're definitely into fishing, but they are not into what I would consider hunting as a whole, meaning everything, you know, predator management, uh, bird hunting, obvi- ungulates, trapping, everything. They are more, I'd say, probably like a 40-60. They're into some of it, not into others. And you guys got lumped in with them, which to some people's eyes gave you a black eye and others people, other people's eyes it was a pro. Uh, do you guys want to discuss that affiliation with them? So let me, let me start with this. And I, I want to give Land and the staff a lot of credit on this. Um, and I, it'll go back to something we talked about a little bit ago, Aaron. In a world where... Uh, we're constantly hearing about the reduction in hunter numbers and how we're perceived as hunters and that hunting license sales are going down. Um, here we figure out a way to reach across, you know, lots of social divides. Um, I mean, Patagonia is headquartered north of L.A., right along the ocean. Um, it's not the, you know, it's not exactly eastern Montana. It's a, it's a different societal, it's a different culture there. Um, and yet, uh, we figure out a way to bridge that divide and bring folks who had, who never thought they would say a kind thing about a hunter, much less become one. Both of those happen. Um, and we're not going to bring those people into hunting by demanding that the first thing they do is go shoot a grizzly bear. It's not going to happen. We're going to bring those people to hunting slowly, convincing them that we're passionate about the resource just like they are. In other words, find this commonality. So I guess the bottom line is I'm proud of what BHA does reaching across to form coalitions that with people and groups and businesses that that maybe some people don't perceive as 100% like all with us or not against us, I guess. That's the thing that I, if nothing else, would take from, 
from this podcast is I don't think we as a group of hunters can afford to be all or nothing, 100% or nothing. Either you like every single thing we do all the time, you have to do it, or you're just, we're going to toss you out. That's not the way BHA is. We're welcoming, and we're glad to have brought single moms who, I mean, I've seen these people who, um, you know, employees of Patagonia eating wild game for the first time and loving it. And like, wow, this isn't so bad. Exactly. So, I mean, Land, if you want to expand on that, you can. You know, it goes back to that piece of the, you know, the 80-20 or the 70-30 or, you know, trying to find common ground. Like, you know, there's these concentric circles in this, in this nation right now. And it feels like, you know, you're either on one side or the other. And I look at public lands, public waters, and it's the conservation of those. And then I think as we get into hunting and fishing, there's such a common ground there. Like that idea of people wanting to get outside, find that solace. And so trying to go find that common ground with uncommon partners, I think is an important thing. And, you know, there is, there are many issues that we agree upon. There are some that we disagree upon. And I think that when we have issues that we agree upon, it gives us more of an ability to have those conversations that are a little bit tougher. And, and I think that's just, an ongoing conversation, Aaron. Um, I would say that, you know, it's, it's a loose affiliation, but that, you know, we're trying to, I mean, I'll be quite honest, Pittman Robertson dollars, excise taxes that we get from ammunition and gun sales, and then you go into Wallet Bro, which is on the fishing side, and all that goes into the sports fishing restoration kind of fund. Like, those are dollars that help our state agencies actually manage wildlife, period. That and, like, licensees. As we've talked about already on this, you know, on this podcast is that those numbers are going down. And, you know, I think that, you know, this is something that's not talked about a lot, but the Obama bump, right, when everybody was buying guns and ammunition, that actually helped save some of these agencies and really kind of um, provide a stopgap for them. Now, as those numbers, again, are dwindling, um, we have to think about alternative funding sources. And Patagonia is a leader, you know, in that space, in that kind of outdoor gear space. And I don't know if you know much about how they, you know, got the outdoor retailer show removed from uh, Utah. It's in my, um, which it's in my thought, homeland now. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I mean, I think that, you know, there was politicians there that kept on talking about wanting to sell all public land. And, you know, Mr. Senator Lee in particular is uh, still on that mantra. And so here's the biggest outdoor show in the world that, that depends on public lands. Like they were leaders in moving that to Colorado. And I, I think it's unfortunate for, uh, Utah to lose um, such an economic impact as well as kind of just the energy that that brought to the city of Salt Lake and the surrounding areas. But something I think, you know, politicians sometimes, you know, they're like dogs. They need to be shocked once in a while. And I think that's what happened there. And so I have a lot of respect for them and the way they did that. And so back to this kind of idea of more money, like there's been the backpack tax has been talked about a lot. And the idea of, you know, you know, Table that for a minute, because I, I want to. That's a whole nother subject we're going to talk about here in about five minutes. So, um, just because that is a very, I want to get your guys' take on my idea as well as like you talked about the backpack tax. Because hunters get f- just bent over the table. We fund everything, like we we fund it all. But before I get going on my tangent, um, I finish up about this. the 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 one thing that, in the defense of both parties, in the defense of a, of a hunter. And when I say a hunter, a long time, what I would say more of a traditional hunter, meaning raised up with hounds, right? Trapping, um, much like I was, right? I was raised trapping. I was raised with hounds. Um, Hunting was hunting. There wasn't really any, eh, I really don't feel comfortable with that. I'm not saying that's the right way. That was just my way. That was how I was raised and what I'm comfortable with. If it's legal, 
uh, ethical. I'm I'm good with it. I love trapping. A lot of people don't like trapping, but it's it's um it's something I I enjoy and don't get to do anymore. When you look at something like Patagonia or you know some of these different um, foundations that dabble in, in everything. They got a little money here and maybe uh, fish and wildlife or, or fisheries restoration, hydrology. They've got a little money in upland game hunting, but they also have money donated into anti-grizzly hunting. I think where hunters like myself get that big red flag, like with the Patagonia, is the fact that they were a fairly decent, you know, they did have some some things to do quite a bit actually with getting grizzly hunting banned in Canada. That throws up a red flag. So in fairness to to um, someone that enjoys grizzly hunting, knew the biology behind it, that there was no biological, that made no sense biologically to, um, or as far as biology goes, to stop grizzly hunting. The numbers were far greater than they needed. And then you look at Patagonia donating money to that, that's a red flag. In your guys' defense, I totally get, man, if, if I can go to a, let's say, a photography shoot and I'm the only hunter in the group and they can see I'm not some Neanderthal packing a beer in a flannel shirt, you know, flinging bullets out the side of my Chevy and that I have a brain and I can transfer to people that are non and anti hunters. Hey, we're not dumb rednecks. We all are in it for the greater good of conservation. You know, I get it from both sides of the spectrum. It's just where you guys get beat up is you're intertwining with them on both sides of the fence. And, and I, I'm not really, I'm not really making sense yeah, of what right. I want and, to say. And by the way, um, Land's got, Land and I both have lots of beers and lots of flannel shirts. So, um, you know, we're, that was probably we're, before we're, flannel we're, became metrosexual and millennial, though. You're yeah. both old. You had them before they were cool. Aaron, I, I would say, you know, on this grizzly bear stuff, you know, I brought up earlier, like our, you know, our British Columbia chapter was definitely against you know, the banning of hunting of grizzly bears up in British Columbia and wrote a letter doing so. The idea that since we're partnering with Patagonia or we're partnering with other folks, they're going to dictate what we do. I think that's like the biggest kind of red flag that you're bringing up. And I just, again, look at what we do, you know, and, and it's just, that's the part that I think is, it really couldn't be farther from the truth is that, you know, we're going to try to work with Patagonia again, see them as leaders in that space, try to like work with them on places where we can agree but that doesn't stop us from disagreeing, either on their side or on our side. And I think that, like, people need to understand that piece is that there's not, like, a, a tail wagging the dog. And if there is, like, please show me. And by the way, it doesn't stop us from, from – it's not like we hide under the table. We yeah, are, a voice. With regards to our disagreements, like, they know. <laughs> We've told them. It, and, and this happens – I guess I go back to something I said earlier in the podcast. We have these bedrock things we don't give on. I don't care if you're if you're an individual that donates ten trillion dollars to BHA. We don't give on them, period. Um, and and again, the North American model of wildlife management, the, the grizzly bear thing, the reintroducing wolves through a ballot initiative. We don't give on them. I don't. I don't Nobody has ever asked us to. We don't consider it. We've never talked about it once. It's never come up in a board meeting. I've never heard it discussed ever. Never. Not a single time. Everything that you guys are saying is making sense. I just, you know, like I said, I'm trying to be the, well, not the devil's advocate, the happy medium guy in the middle. I see it from both sides. I totally get it. You guys scare the shit out of me because you're partnered up with some of these uh, foundations that do freak me out. But I also see the good you guys are doing, and it cannot be argued that there has to be a BHA. 
I mean, when I say has to be, you're the only ones doing what you're doing. It's like getting rid of Ducks Unlimited. They're about the only Ducks Unlimited I know of, right? So, you know, you guys are are for public lands. I get that. I think people are going to be forced with a a choice of if they can't handle that you guys enter dealings with some of these different, you know, the monetary, the funding or what, don't join. Join something else that you're more aligned with. But if it, you know, and I get a lot of questions and comments from um, first one, two-year hunters, a lot of the ones you guys are referring to, that, that you guys, they were introduced from a pint night, that you guys get black guys from pint nights sometimes. Not black guys, but made fun of for the gatherings, I guess, on social media from what I've seen. I don't really pay attention. I've never been to one. But it's a way to grow numbers. It works. I'm not going to deny that. It works very well. And I know multiple people that – and I would say – Maybe not a hundred, but pretty close to a hundred different people have messaged me that they got into hunting because of a pint night. Make fun of it or not, they work, right? You guys are <laughs> that's that's what you're wanting, right? I mean, that's you're growing numbers. Well, well our, it, growing. it comes about naturally. Our people, a lot of these people, you know, didn't think they would join up with a group, and we, there's all these studies that have been done about these multiple generations. They're joiners. They're not joiners. Well. They're joining BHA, and they're hunting more, and they're advocating more, and they're helping us save wildlife corridors and mule deer habitat. I'm all for them. (laughs) I don't know why we wouldn't be. The only downside to that, and I don't know that I would say it's a downside, and that was, Ryan, you were speaking of that, right, just now? You guys are difficult. Your voices, believe it or not, are close enough to where I get confused sometimes. The only time I've seen that negative, and it's been posted several times, where Newer hunters will get on and say, I've only harvested two animals, but I know more about conservation than, than this guy who's hunted for 50 years. That may or may not be true, right? I mean, that's you can know all kinds of shit about conservation and not have hunted very much. I think where some of the issues lie with when those battles start is someone who's done 15 different sheep counts and 35 mule deer counts and 20 goat counts and a dude that picked up a bow a year ago battling it back out. And that infighting needs to, you know, to stop. You know, the the older generation guy probably needs to stop fucking with the younger generation guy. And the younger generation guy may need to back off and be like, you know, I could probably learn a lot from from this guy. You know what I mean? And to where they co- coincide with each other. Um, I guess that's the right word. Where it Coincide where one learns from the other because it, a, a guy who's been hunting for 50 years, you got a lot to learn from him. And that old fart probably could learn from the younger generation, at the very least, technology. <laughs> you know, what social media is, how to grow the numbers that way, things like that. And the infighting happens a lot and it, it gets old. And I'm going on a tangent here that makes no sense, so I'll, sh- I'll shut up now. But I'm just from the outside looking in. Aaron, I think you it makes sense. And I think that... You know, a lot of things I, you know, I'm proud that, you know, 70% of our members are 45 and younger, but does not mean I discount like, you know, the membership that is older and wiser, right? And I talk a lot about trying to combine, you know, the sage wisdom of our elder kind of statesmen and stateswomen with that younger generation, you know, and I think like the social media, the idea, you know, that they have been, you know, hunting for a year and I know more than you, like I, like, why are we having those conversations, right? Like, you know, I, I just... Like it's like everybody's trying to like one up themselves on social media. And that's why I, I appreciate this opportunity to come on the podcast because it's more, you know, long form, right? Where there can actually be a conversation which we've had today. And so what I would say that like is important for you, it's important for us is education, education, education. And I have 
you know, one example, and I've been talking about the Land and Water Conservation Fund a lot today, and, and that's in part very direct by me, is that when I first started, you know, going to a pint night, you know, seven years ago when I started this job, and there'd be 10 people in a room at a, a little teeny uh, brewery, I'd ask people to raise their hand. Like, how many anybody knows, anybody know about the Land and Water Conservation Fund, the number one access tool in this country? Crickets. Like, nobody knew about it. Now... I go to a pint night that I was in uh, Nebraska this last week, and we had, you know, 150 people there. And I asked, like, who knows about the Land and Water Conservation Fund? And not only does every hand go up in that room, but there is cheers, right? Like, people are, like, fired up about it. And that is that hasn't happened for any other reason but education, right, about what this thing is. And so I think really what we've been doing, to, that's really what we've been doing today is, like, figuring out, you know, like educating and I think, you know, make sure everybody's doing their own research and, you know, if BHA is a group for you, then, you know, come on. And if not, like, don't take us down. Go join somebody else that, uh, that, you know, that I think shares the same ethos that you do. Yeah. And I, I mean, I made a post, um, earlier on Kefaru cast page, just said, Hey, super excited to get you two on here, discuss whatever is pretty generic post. And immediately there's like, Bullshit on both sides. I'm like, <laughs> you know, the more known you get, like I'm learning, right? The bigger my platform grows, I get a lot more people to like me. But man, that three percent sucks that I got to listen to that don't, right? And, and with I'm a pretty polarizing personality. The BHA is much greater and much worse. Like you guys, it's a love hate type of a thing. Like you're either gonna, it seems to me anyway, like you're gonna be all for it. Very few people are. Um, like be in the middle, I guess, uh, there is some, or you're against it. And I, I think where that, a lot of things we discussed today are why you're, you know, you're one or the other. I would say if you, uh, do either of you guys bow hunt? You used to bow hunt a lot. I don't have enough time to do it anymore. I chase bird dogs around, but, um, yeah. Bird dogs is fine. I, you go, sorry, I, go ahead. I don't bow hunt and it's, uh, <laughs> I can tell you a long story on why, but uh, Mr. Stubblefield, that you know very well, is in our office, and um, we are working together to try to make change up. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you start, if if you, uh, let's say, bird dogs, you go to a specific kennel to get your bird dog, and you're learning from that specific kennel, you know, whatever that may be. I only brought up archery because I know jack shit about bird dogs. But you're going to probably side with that type of training, that type of mentality that that specific kennel or whatever you call it. If I'm misspeaking, please don't make fun of me again. I don't know anything about bird dogs. That's going to be kind of your, that's your stick. That's your deal that you learn that way. And that's, that's kind of your, your thing where BHA is no different. You get a guy that joined because of a bite not pint night. Um, he's going to be very, you know, steadfast in what you guys believe in and what you do. And then you're going to have maybe an older, crustier guy or or someone that was raised completely different who's going to make fun of pint nights, who's going to make fun of the fact or at least be against the fact you guys are intermingling with people that have um, money going to anti and pro hunting. You know, and, and, and I think that what really needs to be looked at, the greater good, are you guys pro or con or, or are you guys doing better for the greater good or are you not? And if someone doesn't like the fact that you guys take money from different places, join a different organization. I, I don't I don't think it's that difficult. I mean, it seems pretty simple to me. Like, if I don't like water, I don't go by the pool. If you got people like what you guys stand for and it makes total sense, then, I, I mean, it seems to be fairly cut and dry. The 
the bullshit that goes on online is a little more than I can handle. Uh, not to go on a tangent about that, but there's enough hate in the world. And, and I'm a very confrontational person, but Jesus Christ, people need to calm down on that. Yeah, so I totally appreciate that, Aaron. And I, 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 I mean, I think you bring up a good point. We're not. Nobody's forcing anybody to join BHA. We're not running down the streets and grabbing people and putting their arms behind their back and making them sign a membership. We welcome a broad variety of people, and I'm very proud of the fact that we have some of the most accomplished hunters and, and fisher people in the world. Like I said, they've humbled me, and I'm also very proud of the fact that we have adult onset hunters or kids or college students that started hunting last year. I'm, I'm proud of both of those, and and if, if you don't, if, if BHA is not for you, that's fine. Um, I wish it was, but that's fine. For people to waste their energy on trying to label us as some front or some anti-hunter, well, I guess you need to go talk to these 40,000 people that I know because I haven't met those people yet. Well, and I, I don't think that I would say I don't. it's not a think. It really has more to do with the board. It, it it does not have to do with the members. I would say that that is really directed towards you two, the rest of the board, and then that money coming in from, you know, some different anti-hunting organizations. I, I don't know anybody that thinks the actual members are, are anti-hunting. Where the red flags come up, we've already discussed. And and by no means am I saying you two are anti-hunting. Um, obviously, you work for Kimber. That would be a difficult job to hold. Um, uh, if you're an anti-hunter, you sell guns, for God's sake. I think where it, where it lies is is that stuff we've already discussed, um, and, and I'm speaking that just from all the messages and comments I get. Or you've got some pipe hitters that are members. I mean, I know some of the guys that you are 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 members and, and affiliated and work with the BHA are killers. I'm not. I think I'm supposed to say harvesters now, even though it's not corn. Um, I think that's the <laughs> proper thing to say. So I, again, I I yeah, I'm not saying we need to cut this off. Now there's a couple other things I want to cover, but. It seems pretty cut and dry to me. If you've got issues with some of the different views or things, the way you guys look at, don't join. If you guys don't have any issue with that, it's pretty simple that you should, you know, join on up and, and, uh, you know, work hand in hand with what you guys are, you know, you're doing. I mean, you guys have, oh man, what was the percentage? I figured it out. You've grown land. I met you what in 2013? Is that yep. when you guys first? Right at, like that was, that, that, that's right when I got the job. Yeah, I met we had you. A thousand members. We had a thousand yeah. members at that point. Yeah, thousand members. I met you. So you've grown to forty-four thousand in seven years. Does that sound about right? Yeah, just where we're over forty. I think the forty-four. I was, we're close to that. Um, I think I was talking to uh, Mark Kenyon the other day on a podcast with him, and I I don't have that. I know we're over forty. Forty-four might be pushing it a little bit, but yeah, we're over forty. So forty-fold in seven years. Gotcha. And obviously that's, um, you know, your, your demographic is of, of the younger age. Um, I just think, and we've already covered it. We don't need to keep beating a, a dead horse where the money comes from. You know, there was a lot of questions about that. I think we've answered those. The fact that some of that money does also, those people do work with anti-hunting organizations or, or somewhat, if people can't deal with that, they're just going to have to choose to go elsewhere. I think that, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I know a lot of different hunters that don't want to bear hunt over bait. I get it. You know, they don't want to trap. They don't like the idea of trapping. They don't like mountain lion hunting um, with dogs. You know, those kind of things, I think actually on some of them, like mountain lion hunting with dogs, me personally, I think that's the most ethical way to do it because you actually, you know, it. you can limit the numbers and you get to choose what you get to shoot, meaning 
I don't know what about you two. If you have a mountain lion walk in front of you at 17 yards, can you tell me if it's a male, male, male or female that's quick? Not well, that quick. Aaron, just so you know, I mean, I'm, I'm standing here drinking a cup of coffee. I'm looking up at a big mountain lion mount in my house that I shot out of a tree with two hounds paying up at it um, when I shot it. And I got to tell you, it was among the most exciting hunts and also physically demanding hunts I've ever been on. It was kick-ass. Um, and and I'm, I'm super proud to have done that hunt. And I think a lot of BHA members are like, I don't, I don't know how many, what percentage of them taken a mountain lion, but I have, and it was awesome. I think that where the issue lies is we already talked about it. There are you are obviously not against mountain lion hunting with dogs, but some of the people that you, you know, play in the sand with are against it. And that's where the sticky situation lies. But we don't, we don't need to keep beating that dead horse to death even more. The coronavirus will kill it for us. Um, one of the things I did want to touch on, you talked about like a backpack tax. So to me, um, cause, and I'm very defensive obviously of hunters because I know we foot the bill, how do you guys feel about uh, the toll for any back, anybody entering the wilderness? Um, they have to pay basically like a hunting license for them to go backpacking to help. So they have, you know, to help foot the bill or, or help fund some of this stuff, paying to not just a parking pass, but an actual pass to, to go hiking. In one way, that gives them a bigger voice, and that may be a voice we don't want, but it certainly would help a financial burden. I mean, let's go back. I mean, I think every American pays taxes. Well, most Americans do. And, you know, I think it, it gets down to about $2 out of your taxes goes towards the management of our federal, our federal land. So, you know, hunters pay for the management of species and they paid for it. Like the duck stamp is directly tied into uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, like National Wildlife Refuges. But as far as like Bureau of Land Management, um, our national parks, Forest Service, like every American, I think, pays about $2, just to be clear on that piece. Um, do I think we need to increase that funding? Absolutely. And I think we could do that at a federal level. Um, I think we need to be looking at all sorts of different types of funding. Back to your, I guess I think all options would be on the table, you know, about this idea of having like a fee to go in. You work for a company that would be affected by this and this backpack tax. Like every hunter I talk to, is so damn proud of Pittman Robertson and Wallet Bro, right? Like they just, they think it's like the coolest thing in the world and they, and they wear that, they wear that on their sleeves, I would say. I think as we're going forward, figuring out ways to, you know, include, you know, all Americans. And so whether that's binoculars, you know, optics, whether that's backpacks, whether that's kayaks, whether that's mountain bikes, whatever that is, not only would that increase the funds, but I think it would also, uh, give everybody a vested interest in, you know, our public lands and our public waters. And I think that, you know, that's something I'm probably most nervous about is that, that are we getting distance from those places? And so, you know, while I think you could charge a fee into the wilderness and, you know, that could generate some money, I don't think it would generate a lot. Um, not that it shouldn't be on the table and be discussed. I think it should be, but you I think come, trying to figure out these. You need to come hiking in Colorado. It's a pretty crazy. It's fucking horrible. Yeah. You, you are totally wrong. And, and okay. I, I'm only saying Colorado. I can tell you right now, at the top of Guanella Pass on any weekend, there will be four to seven hundred cars in an area that probably should only own two hundred. I guarantee <laughs> that at least that many. Yeah, last last time I hunted, or two times ago, I hunted out Colorado. I looked up on a ridge. I'm like, what the hell is that? And it's like thirty people hunting a lot across the or hiking across a pass trail. None of them were hunting. Trust me, none of these people. Um, and I saw it with my own eyes, like the sort of 
pressures that Aaron's talking about. And, and I think, I don't know what the exact answer is, but I think to Land's point, I, I don't know that BHA has a particular, like a stated policy stance on this. Oh, I was talking about you two individually, actually, not BHA, because oh, that's too we broad. Have to find, we absolutely have to find more creative ways and to fund this out and to get it off of all of just outdoor shoulders, off of our shoulders. That people, the, the way that our public lands are being used and need to be maintained, we have to figure out a way to spread out that funding to get more of it from other places. And so roughly each year in Colorado, about, you know, in their surveys every year, last year was $1.8 billion, or two years ago was $1.8 billion was generated from hunters. That then I think that's total package, right? So some of that's going to be a bit of a guess, but that's licenses, spending money in the local towns, things like that, plus taxes. Um, that's up 845 million um, was what the number was in 2004. So so it's up. It may be back down the last two years. You know, my my thing is is if you go to the maroon bells, it is not hunters making you pack your poop out because there's not that many. It is not hunters that are making the different areas close to camping because there's not enough hunters. It is hikers. They need to pay the toll. They are getting a free ride from hunters for a lot of that. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And so I think even though I don't want them to have that much of a voice because it's generally a voice with really no back data, you know, that, and that's kind of why I brought this up is, I mean, for, as far as like, what, let's say for um, like hydrology, as far as, uh, if you're going to survey a stream and then recreate a habitat for, for, for a fishery, that is expensive. And the hunters can't foot the bill for that. They cannot foot the bill. And you guys don't mess with, you guys don't deal at all as far as like with RMEF, they're transplanting animals, things like that. You guys stick to other stuff. Whether you guys deal deal with it or not, you guys are both hunters. That shit is expensive. And someone else, if people like seeing elk, well, they got to like hunters because the numbers would be, you know, obviously because of the money we put into it and everything else, people don't look at it that way. I'll stop talking because I'm going on a rant now. Go ahead. No, Aaron, <laughs> Aaron I, think, I think, you know, again, it goes back to my point. Like, we got to grow the pot, right? We got to grow the funds to actually, you know, manage these awesome world-class resources that we have. And then we also have to have a conversation, you know, which is a very tough one. You know, I mean, I, we have, you know... A, there's only one permitted river here in Montana. It's called the Smith River. It is the most coveted, probably, like, tag almost in Montana. I mean, it's probably right up there with a lot of uh, the hunting tags. And they restricted that river because it was being loved to death. And that's a very, very hard conversation to have, right? And and I think, so this is, I think there's kind of twofold in this conversation that we're just having right now. It's about how do we grow the pie so we have more funding for conservation, for access, for restoration, how do we grow that and how do we, you know, include more people so they have a vested interest in all those things that we all love? So I think that's the first piece. And then the second piece is, is like, how do we start to manage? You know, and I have, you know, we have two staff members or three staff members that work in Colorado. And so I don't recreate a lot there because I recreate mostly in Montana. Um, this is where I'm from and it's what I do. And so I know it best, but like they tell me how these pressures are happening and it, and you know, campgrounds are full and there's people everywhere. So how do we start to try to figure out um, how to disperse some of that stuff without restricting people either? Like, you know, we want people to love these places because then they'll care about them um, and want them to experience them so they will care about them. But you know, how do we do that? And so that we don't impact the resource and impact opportunities. And I think that's like, that's a, that, that's a, that's a first world problem. I would tell you that right now. Well, and, and importantly here, I want to say, so, 
a lot of times, you know, one of the criticisms I hear about BHA is, well, what are you doing? Or what? In these discussions that, that are happening, these management discussions that Land just talked about, the full campground and the and the example that Aaron you had about trails, like BHA is really on this idea of making sure that hunters and fishermen, hunters and fisher people, um, have a voice at this because we don't want just the voice to be the soccer mom who is never going to ever hunt. I mean, we, we, we need our voices to be at those management tables so we make sure that hunting and fishing stays forefront in how we use and manage these public lands. And we're, our members and, and, and our organization in general is all over making sure that, that that's always at the forefront. Yeah, it's, it's unique here because, for example, I drew a mountain goat tag last year uh, and I knew I knew this. Just I've, I've helped guys out a ton in there. It's closed off on the weekends for hunting because there is so many people. The negative outlook on hunting, whether you want it to be that way or not, is going to expand a thousandfold if people see some furry or white, nice-looking animal shot off a cliff. Whether they're not, it's not like you can go down and tell the story of conservation and hunting and where we all began. They just see a goat falling off a cliff, and it's a black eye for hunting, whether you want it to be or not. And so they've they've closed hunting on the weekends in certain high-populated areas. I can tell you when we backpacked in, we were just two and a half miles in. There was a couple. One was in a wedding dress. One was in a tux. They hiked their ass in there with a photographer to get photos of their wedding pictures above a lake three miles in, half mile farther than we were on a Monday. That's fucking crazy, right? That's that's Colorado. That is Colorado. And again, there is many times I was with we're way off track here, but with Phil Mendoza and, and Braden uh on a we were scouting for for sheep. We're nowhere near a trail, right? We we're probably over a mile and a quarter off of a trail on a knife edge ridge glassing up bighorns. We probably had 14 different ridge runners that day in tennis shoes, Solomon tennis shoes and camelbacks going from peak to peak, signing a little bottle in the middle of nowhere, nowhere remotely close to a trail. And literally, it makes you feel like a fat piece of shit because they're there with a camelback and I've got 50 pounds, the most state-of-the-art gear known to man, and they're running it in a day. That is literally Colorado in, in like one one short sentence. It is insane the amount of traffic is here. Man, I, we got to figure out you know, how we share this resource in time and in space. Right. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I think that's one of the most difficult questions that's probably facing us all right now. And, you know, we gotta, we gotta have those conversations and they're going to be tough, uh, but we got to figure it out because, you know, I mean, that's, it, it's, it's impacting the resource, whether you like it or not. And, but it's also, you know, back to my point, like you want these people, like, you know, you want those trail runners, like care about public lands. You want them to care about, you know, those bighorn sheep. You want them to care about mountain goats. You want them to care about, you know, that giant salamander. Like who is going to care about these things going forward? And I think it's the hunters that have traditionally done that. And we're going to continue to do that no matter what, but how do we grow that pie? And I think that's a conversation that, you know, I think is an important one. I'm applying for a giant salamander tag as soon as I get done with this. <laughs> Here's, I just applied for a paddlefish tag. I didn't even know there was such a thing. That's how dumb I am. I applied for one with my buddy. Kind of a crazy looking species just to expand my horizons in bow hunting. Plus, I heard they taste really good. But um, probably don't want to go. Nobody get the idea you should be shooting a Pacific giant salamander because you'd probably get in about the <laughs> yeah, same yeah, amount please. of trouble if you took a shot at okay, Trump. Okay, I'm going re- to research the season <laughs> first. But if I can't apply, I'm going to apply. Yeah, definitely research that one. Um, well, I, guys, we 
covered pretty much everything, um, you know, I wanted to, to hit on. Do you guys have, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of throw my final spiel out here in a second. Do you guys have anything uh, else you want to talk about or cover? No, I appreciate, I appreciate you having us on, Aaron, and we're, we're an open book and um, appreciate the opportunity to kind of pat our members and our volunteers and our staff on the back. We're, we're proud of that. So um, really, really thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh yeah, no. Problem. I guess I guess I would, you know, again, I would thank you for you know, the opportunity to, to get on this podcast today. Um, I think that, you know, obviously there was a theme about kind of money today, and I look at the body of work that we do. That's what I would ask people to really look at, um, and then judge kind of us by our actions, uh, which I think is vitally important in this world. And the last thing I would say is that you know we've we've kind of joked around about this this virus a little bit today, and you know it's it's having an impact on this country, whether that's, you know, health or economically or mentally. And, you know, I would encourage everybody to, you know, get out on public land or public water if you can, um, or just get out of your house and get some sunshine and uh, uh, look at, you know, those birds that are all coming back right now in the spring. And I've been having a great time watching kind of robins and, and uh, chickadees and uh, uh, house sparrows. Let's all like remember, like kind of like what all is at stake here, and uh, what like kind of where we find our solace. I guess I would say, and I find my solace on public lands and public waters. And you know, the other night I was able to go up on national forest and build a fire and uh, cook hot dogs and sausages for my kids. And like, how restorative was that for us, like mentally, physically? So I would just encourage everybody in this time right now, and if there's a lot of unknowns that we, you know, like these next few weeks, next few months are going to determine a lot of things. But think about, you know, those places that uh, provide opportunities for you to kind of get away from it. And and I think, you know, a lot of that is public lands and public waters. No, I, I agree. I, I guess my final little statement here would be no matter if you join uh, the BHA or many of the other, you know, organizations, uh, we're getting ch- hunting is getting chipped away at. If people do not put their best foot forward representing hunting, you need slapped for one, but two, you are hurting us more the ways than you know, whether that be a post on social media that is not very tactful or how you represent yourself on the trail. We have an uphill fight uh, uh, against us and we need to literally put our, our smiling faces on as tough as that is for me. We need to represent hunting in the, the greatest of ways. We need to explain it when we can. If you're on the trail and somebody has a question, if someone's just an asshole to you and you're on the trail, just say, hey, I appreciate your opinion. Um, you know, I like to harvest my own animal. Don't get into a shit fest with them. Just present yourself the best way you can and present hunting the best way you can. And and, and I think <laughs> if we can all keep doing that and growing the, the pie, as you say, we're going to be a lot better off than uh, bitching at each other online and, and talking shit about each other. It's uh, definitely going to be for the greater good. So either way, I, I really appreciate you guys coming on here, having this discussion. I know you probably weren't overly looking forward to it, but um, I think it went really well and I can't thank you guys enough. Good advice. Good advice. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yep. No problem, guys. Enjoyed it as well. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.